All right, because three is a crowd. I'm here today once again, as always, in the blockhouse with Kelly. How's it going, Kelly? It's so great. Everything's so good. Yay. Woo. <laughs> We're in the middle of 19. Didn't mean to sound spooky there. Halloween is definitely over. Right, right. But we are in the middle of November. We're getting near the end of season two. So uh, this is episode 73. We're going to have two more to go after this. So stay tuned uh, there. If you've been listening through the month of November, you might be confused and think that this is a band podcast. That's right. Band month is currently going strong of on Thursdays. A the band. A the band. Not the band. The band month. But it's not. This is actually a Bob Dylan podcast. I've been listening to Bob Dylan for most of my life, so it doesn't really matter to me. Kelly has heard <laughs> roughly two years worth of Bob Dylan, which is roughly the same amount of songs as the number of minutes to compare. Complete their throws in international curling. Oh, God, curling. And this week, we listen to Senor Tales of Yankee Power off of 1978's Street Needle. I mean, it's just like hockey shuffleboard, right? Senor, Senor, can you tell me where we're heading? Lincoln County Road or Armageddon Seem like I've been down this way before Is there any truth in that, senor? All right, Kelly. Street legal. 1978. Senor, Tales of Yankee Power. What are your initial thoughts? This is a weird one. We haven't done... Um, street legal. We haven't done street legal since episode nine. No time to think. Famously, the, I think the first song you were just like, Fuck "I'm this. not excited to listen to street legal." <laughs> uh, you and the rest of America, <laughs> the UK loves this album, and you know really? what? Today I'm flying that freak British flag high. I love me some street legal. I love me some no time to think. I love me some Senor Tales of Yankee Power. We are going to refer to it as Senor, not doing the Tales of Yankee Power, it's although that's words. important for this for this um, song. song. But Kelly, how did you feel about this song just in general? I don't super love his voice because um, it like verges on silly or dramatic, but I think that might be the point because it's supposed to be like gravitas, like mm-hmm. oh, everything is serious, uh, but sometimes it's just silly. There's a, I can't tell if it's a sax. Sometimes it sounds like a trumpet and I'm okay with it. And then it goes into crappy sax territory and I'm like, eh, I could skip it. might it. just be some reverb from Garth in the band <laughs> month. You know, you just... Maybe. Um, it sounds like there's a mandolin in it, but maybe there's not. Uh, and the vi- the intro where it's just like little bongos mm-hmm. um, and just kind of noodling on a guitar. There's this moan, like this... Uh, I don't know what kind of it's just the weirdest sound that I can't place it. There's like a woo that comes yeah. in, and it's only the beginning and the end. I don't know what that is, uh, but it makes me think of Diablo two. I don't know if you ever played Diablo two. Uh, I, I have, but I don't. When really you're play. in the second city that you get to, it's very similar vibe music. <laughs> anyway, yeah, that. <laughs> so this could be on Diablo two. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's fair. No, um, you're not wrong about this. So this song was originally recorded for the first time in December 26th. Uh, 1977 at the Rundown Studios with Bob on vocals and guitar, Stephen Souls on on guitar, and Rob Stoner on bass. So they were just sort of working it out. It was done more formally on April 26th and 28th, 1978 for Street Legal. It's Bob Dylan on guitar and vocals, obviously. Billy Cross on guitar. Stephen Souls on guitar. 
uh, Jerry Sheff on bass, Ian Wallace on drums, Helena Springs, Joanne Harris, and Carolyn Dennis, who was with Bob Dylan. Could have not shown up. On background vocals. The most restrained vocals on True. all. On, Still don't want them there. Not only on all that we've done, but on this record. It's just bonkers uh, elsewhere. Uh, Steve Wallace is on the soprano saxophone. Okay. Uh, Alan Pasqua is on the piano, which is really great in this song. And Dave Mansfield is on mandolin. Okay. And There's mandolin. Uh, Bobby Hall is on the congas. So okay. we've got another, uh, just like last week, we talked about ISIS, and they had a lot of, they had the congas and the mm-hmm. tambourines and stuff, uh, or the bongos in that case. A lot of stuff showing up. Except for Scarlet. There's no Scarlet here, which is a bummer. And also no Rob Stone or, or Howie White. Mm-hmm. So I'm immediately like, nope. But I love I love this song. And so does Rolling Stone. They ranked it number 100 of Bob Dylan's 100 greatest songs it of made all time. It on the Yes, quote, Dylan said this baffling yet haunting country rock epic was inspired by a man he met on a train from Mexico to San Diego. Quote, he must have been 150 years old. Both of his eyes were burning and there was smoke coming out of his nostrils. Sounds rough, but hey, at least the guy got to meet Bob Dylan. He said that? Bob Dylan said that. That's a rolling song. Oh, I was like, Oh, that would have been rough. What? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The song has been played 265 times total. um, The first time, June 1978. The last time, April 27, 2011. Wow. So we're recording this in 2018. So good chance that that might be the end of Senor, which is kind of a bummer. Because I, I really do like the song. But Kelly, the first question you have to ask is, what the hell? <laughs> what the hell is happening? <laughs> you do have to ask that. Because uh, what, what the hell is happening? I think it's... Well, what do you think is happening? Well... Uh, I had no hunches. I had no idea because it seemed really disparate. So I went to Genius uh, okay. to look at the lyrics to see if they had little notes about what it's supposed to mean. So I was like, oh, of course there's Bible shit. Oh, it's mostly random stuff about a guy on a train. Okay, none of this actually means anything. Oh, so you just gave up almost. Immediately. Well, I mean, it's supposed to... It's This was also during like the... The Pat Garrett, Billy the Kid thing, too, right around that well, time, right? Well, that happened in 73, okay, so no. we're five years beyond it. But yeah. But I, I mean, that does spoil kind of what's what's to come, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's it, it just seems like Bob Dylan making little stories, little pulling little lines here and there from stuff. It, yeah. seems, plus, yes, and you're supposed to maybe mean God, mm-hmm. and just, I don't know. Yeah, this is the this is the album right before he does the Christian, does stuff, the Christian yeah. period. So I think that that's all apropos um clinton halen in his book behind the shades that's where rolling stone lifted that that quote about nostrils you know coming out of smoke coming out of his nostrils um there's a belief that it was actually a reference to sam peckinpah who is the director of pat garrett oh right yeah the kid um because when he was writing through he to finish out that quote basically a guy walks in wearing nothing but a blanket sits right across from him and um he must have been a hundred quote. He must have been one hundred and fifty years old. I turned around to look at him, and I could see both of his eyes burning out. They were on fire, and there was smoke, uh, smoke coming out of his nostrils. I said, "Well, this is the man I want to talk to." A lot of people compare this song to "Things Have Changed," uh, in that it's obviously talking about the apocalypse. Anytime you bring sort of this apocalyptic vibe, uh, you could even bring "Ring Them Bells" into this. Uh, "Spirit on the Water" kind of gets kind of dark and talks about that stuff. Anytime you do that, I think that there's a natural um, connection between them. And uh, But is it about something specific, or is it just about lamenting society, lamenting something, and sort of almost yearning for cleansing, right? Mm-hmm. To uh, start over, let the rain come, and to get these people out of here. Yeah, initially when I was trying to find a common thread 
the only thing that came to mind was like the very beginning of Skyrim. Apparently, I was just like, all these are video games. Uh, hey, it's Red Dead Redemption 2 for me. <laughs> um, when you start out, you're like in the back of a wagon with other criminals. Yeah. You're about to be beheaded. Yeah. And that's the only way I could really think is like somebody's on like a train or on a horse, like on a wagon on, about to go to their execution. They're just kind of reflecting about their life. That's why it's so disparate. It's just like, here's a thought. Here's a thought. Here's a thought. Um, so that was the only thing that I could think that maybe pulled it all together. But then there's the line about magnetic fields and shit. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Nothing. It's certainly, I mean, at the end of the day, it is just questioning Senor. I mean, that's the one thing you can definitely take away is that there are questions. He's specifically questioning it. So before we get into the lyrics, and we'll just kind of go verse by verse because I think it's kind of interesting. Uh, let's zoom in in 1978 really quick. We have not done that. So he is just divorced from his wife. Sarah. Never forget. And he was embroiled in a custody battle over his kids. So not not great to start. A friend, uh, Emmett, Gordon, Emmett Gorgon, who was a, a singer uh, during his, his protest singer days, died of in April of a heart attack on a New York subway train, um, which kind of like fucked with him. Ronaldo and Clara was released uh, from the Rolling Thunder review days to scathing reviews. And still to this day, people hate the hell out of that uh, film. And uh, when it was recorded... His backing musicians noticed how stressed out he was, and perhaps they thought in in because of this turmoil, uh, Dylan changed the sound of that 1978 tour, and that to me is is sort of indicative because he basically brings on 400 musicians and the saxophone and and obviously the introduction of the background singers right. is something very unique and it's very particular to this time, and he carries that over pretty much all Empire through the eighties horrible <laughs> and unfortunately it's just the way it is yeah and that's a thing that's hard to kind of get over but i think that sort of breakdown kind of um fuels uh this record and in some ways it's good because i think changing of the guards is great i think that um where are you tonight is great and i think senor is great i think that those are the three best songs on this record um so let's just break down the lyrics um, you said right off the bat that you didn't really care for his vocal. I think that the restraint of his vocal is sort of what brings the lyrics alive a little bit. So I'm going to throw some stuff at you. I don't, I, some of this is online, but some of this isn't really. So I'm kind of like trying some stuff here. So Senor, Senor, do you know where we're heading? Lincoln County Road or Armageddon? Lincoln County Road is in Lincoln County. Nebraska? New Mexico. Right. Famous for the wait, that's good though. <laughs> Lincoln County War, eighteen seventy eight. One of the famous participants of that war was Billy the Kid. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The war began over rights to dry goods and cattle interests. Now, I understand this playing Red Dead Redemption too. I get this. Uh, it was marked by back and forth killings that crescendoed into the Battle of Lincoln on July fifteenth through the nineteenth, eighteen seventy eight, where one of the faction's leaders was killed and it was settled for good. It would be a couple of years later in 1880 when Pat Garrett would be named county sheriff and would go and hunt down Billy the Kid. So there is a connection right off the bat to Billy the Kid. So if we're imagining Peckinpah as being the weird, crazy guy with smoke coming out of his nostrils that Bob Dylan's imagining, then we're automatically transported back to Billy the Kid because Lincoln County is exactly that. And sort of uh, a lot of people online see it as like a... a a battle of good versus evil, but we're going to get into that a little bit more too, because I don't think it's, I don't think it's that because I don't think Dylan is saying per se that the Lincoln County war was about good and evil because it's a bunch of white dudes fighting over stolen land. 
And I don't think that's like a battle of good versus evil because it's just kind of shitty people fighting shitty people. I think it's more of a comment on war in general, like war or the end, the last war. And I think that's where the the Christian sort of fire and brimstone Brimstone, is starting to come in. Um, But I think this song does a lot of things with the questions. I, I find I find it hard to have a single narrator in the song, but he certainly does ask questions. He asks these questions. Do you know where we're going? It seems like we've been here before. Is there any truth to that? Do you know where she's hiding? Do you know how long we're going to be riding? <laughs> how long must I keep my eyes glued to the door? Will there be any comfort out there? Senor. Can you get me some contact info for the people I'm supposed to meet? <laughs> and can you tell me what we're waiting for? So if we start to see the lens through those, you know, questions, we can start to kind of piece this thing together. You know, how long, how long do we have to hide? How long is this going to take? Um, how long do I have to stay vigilant? How long until I can relax? Will this be my life always? Mm. I'm imagining this as people coming to New Mexico from the East. So I'm imagining this is like, westward movement uh lincoln county today has about twenty thousand people but it was home to and i want to shout out the native land map if you go to native hyphen land dot ca you can see an incredible overlay of every single native group that ever existed that we know about and where their traditional where they were in time and you can click on it and find out more information about them so a huge resource so i found out by typing in lincoln county road or lincoln county new mexico that this was home to the mescalero apaches uh they were named in 1500 by the spanish because they uh had they survived on stored mezcal Mm. in lean times from their website, quote, hundreds of years ago, long before white men came to the, the lands, these mountains, plains, and deserts belonged to the Mescalero Apaches. No other Native Americans in the Southwest caused the terror and constant fear in the settlers as the Apaches did throughout their existence. They raided the Spanish, Mexican, and American settlers and were known to be expert guerrilla fighters who defended their homelands. The Mescalero were essentially nomadic hunters and warriors dwelling at one place for a temporary time in brush shelter known as a wiki-up, uh, short, rounded dwellings made of twigs or teepees made out of elk hides and buffalo hides. The Mescalero roamed freely throughout the Southwest, including Texas, Arizona, Chihuahua in Mexico, and Sonora in Mexico. Uh, it was the Comanches that actually pushed them out of the Northern Plains at the beginning of the 18th century. That's my commentary. Today, there are three sub-tribes, the Mescalero, the Lipan, and the Chiricahua that make up the Mescalero Apache tribe, and they live on a reservation of 463,000 acres of what was once the heartland of our people's aboriginal homelands, end quote. So that's from their their website. That's who was here before our people in Senor, and I think that's where the tale of Yankee power comes in, because th- what else does that mean? Right. So I think because it's taking place in 1878, it's after the Civil War, it's after all of that, there are white people streaming in to the west and we are encountering for the first time the apaches the feared apaches and taking them out was something because and and even if we go back to our character how long do we have to hide how long how long until we have civilization quote unquote because of all these apaches out there so i've i'm seeing it through the lens of that character we move on to the next verse there's a wicked wind still blowing on that ipod deck
So an upper deck implies a ship, but it could right. also mean those old school. I mean, we've all played Oregon Trail, um, but the the Conestoga wagons, oh, those big huge, ass wagons, yeah. big ass wagons. So I'm like, maybe that's just being a little okay. playful on the upper deck because there's no waterway into New Mexico. You know, if we are in New Mexico, um, but just like our very first episode, Honest With Me, where we got deep into the Civil War. Who knows? Right. It's just all metaphors, my friends. <laughs> who fucking knows? I love the strumming, though. Yeah, so you got that Mansfield mandolin going, which I think is crucial. Uh, and I think Bob Dylan's voice in this part is really great. I think the Iron Cross is obvious. I mean, it's Christianity being brought over. And Bob Dylan relates a, a moment in 1979, which is right after this, about someone throwing a cross onto the stage and him picking it up and him not knowing that this is what he needed and this was the fuel Ugh. for what's to come. Whatever that case may be, I still think that even while he was kind of going through this, he is a student of history. He does understand it. We've seen him write history before and since. He gets it. So I think that when he's saying that there's an iron cross still hanging, he's obviously just giving description, but he's also sort of commenting on what's going on. Like it's religion that's coming. It's white religion. It's Christianity coming uh, into New Mexico. Uh, and also, just to bring it all back home, Cross of Iron was the next Peckinpah film in 1977 naturally so, yeah. naturally uh senor senor i can see the painted wagon now that makes more sense right i can smell the tail of the dragon can't stand the suspense anymore can you tell me who to contact here senor yeah i just the tail of the dragon thing like that's always addiction metaphor yeah the dragon and stuff so w when i was trying to think of piece together what this might be about this also blended to just this impending sense of doom like i'm soon to be devoured like yeah. Maybe it's not so much addiction because we're not explicitly dealing with something like that, but just the idea of a monster. There's a monster, and whether that monster is physical uh, or obviously this existential sure. faith or doom or yeah, the, yeah. the entire you know subjugation of Native people and pushing them out of their land, <laughs> like all this stuff. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I saw not only the painted wagon makes a lot more sense now because I was like, where the hell is this wagon coming from? Where's this upper deck? Exactly. But the tail of the dragon, yeah, I mean, we use it for drugs, but yeah, an allusion to... I mean, I just see it as like an allusion to the richness of the West. I mean, what people went out there uh, to try to find, you know, either. I mean, there wasn't oil wells and stuff. I mean, that wouldn't be discovered until 1900 uh, in Pennsylvania. So nobody's out there for like oil per se, but they are there for natural resources. And obviously, um, you know, we talked about bills all the time and we talk about, you know, days of 49. I mean, right, right. this is the same the same thing. I mean, we brought we brought up bill last week on ISIS. You know, it's like. There, there is a commonality between Senor and Isis and Days of Forty Nine, and you know I think all of it just alludes to itself. So when you're talking about I can smell the tail of the dragon, it's not only is it like I'm addicted to something, but it's also addiction is a sickness and a disease, and you know that that illusion of wealth and that it's never going to go away. Don't worry about it. I was dreaming about bills. So then next verse, uh, well, the last thing I remember before I stripped and kneeled, obviously there is your religious imagery right there, was a train load of fools bogged down in a magnetic field. And you get that mandolin going. A gypsy with a broken flag and a flashing re ring said, son, this ain't a dream no more. It's the real thing. Why obviously religious? Because he's kneeling? I Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it's praying. 
Okay. Yeah. Yeah. See, again, this was like execution. I don't know why I had to get naked first. Oh but. wow. See, oh, I love. I love it when it goes to a murder place. <laughs> uh, I think. See, this is where I think it, I, it flips for me because the train load implies trains, implies a passage of time. So they came over in the Conestoga wagons, if you will, and now the railroads are here. Uh, White people love trains. They do. So. I'm thinking of a fast forward and this is just where the magnetic field is almost like an imagery again with the sickness that you're chasing. It's a, it just draws in these types of people. Oh, not a literal magnetic, like electromagnetic field. Well, I mean, again, I love it. I love it (laughs) because that just makes it really cool in sci-fi, but I just see it as like, it's a place that's drawing in the ruffians. That makes more sense. Right. So now we've got a person who is coming out here to like, you know, um, preach religion to you know the well later we get their their hearts were as hard as leather um in the next verse Uh, that is definitely a reference not only to probably the ruffians coming down the the train load full of fools uh who can't accept jesus into their hearts but also the belief for much of forever uh, after contact between the native americans and and white christians was their hearts are non-existent as as hard as leather so i'm trying to get them to accept jesus and they're being Mm -hmm. stubborn by not so it kind of plays on that as well um but yeah i see this as like people are coming in and the people who were there before are now upset at the ruffian element if you will i don't know if it it doesn't that's what it seems like to me but then a gypsy with a broken ring that's sarah that's sarah why because there's a, a song called She Belongs to Me off of Bringing It All Back Home about Sarah. She wears an Egyptian ring It sparkles before she speaks She's a hypnotist collector You are a walking antique And she's been described as a gypsy famously in Sarah! (laughs) And it also, son, this ain't a dream no more, it's a real thing. Homie, the marriage is over. Maybe I just have ISIS on the brain. I don't know. Maybe. That's where I'm going. Next verse, senor, senor, you know their hearts are as hard as leather. Well, give me a minute. Let me get it together. I got to pick myself up off the floor. I'm ready when you are, senor. I love the idea of the senor being real and having to pick yourself up off the floor and tell them, give me a minute. Mm -hmm. I've always found that very interesting, even before I even tried to make sense of this song. It's just kind of cool because I always saw senor not really as a God type, but just like you're conscious, like you're, you're just talking to your inner self and you're sort of questioning what you're doing. So I found it interesting when you, when the two sort of combine and it's like, Oh, my mind is now telling me I need to do this, but my body is the one that's like, hold up a second. I gotta get myself going and moving. How does that relate to the song? My version of the song that I'm making? (laughs) I don't know. It doesn't. I will say that there's a nice subdued solo after that verse mm. that really works for the song. They're not very good at solos. Uh, listen to the last song on this album. It's probably the worst solo I've ever heard uh, a mainstream rock musician ever, ever attempt wow. to tape. But th- this is nice. I think it really fits. The subduedness of the singers with the subduedness of the solo and kind of the guitars are not very flashy in this. But when the, when it does come in, it's very noticeable. It's very nice, and it leads us to the final verse. Senor, senor, let's disconnect these cables, overturn these tables. This place don't make sense to me no more. Can you tell me what we're waiting for, senor? Yeah, I got. I mean, I don't know. The last verse I feel like is not the last verse, but the verse before this one. Yeah. I again, if this is just like a scene, a snippets of flashes of life, 
before your execution this would be like here comes whomever the bounty hunter or whatever the fucking person is to get you drag your ass off to where you're going and then yeah. now this last verse is just more of that scene of just like let's go we're just i'm taking you man we're going i like that yeah. i mean that actually really works there because it's like give me a minute let me get it together i just mm-hmm. gotta pick myself up off the like, floor. So, i'm ready like, when you are yeah senor. or like in the overturn the table you would think of like somebody flipping a table but what if it's like there was clearly a kerfuffle like what if this person was a murderer they had a huge brawl in this whatever saloon that i'm imagining from the 1800s right, Redemption right. Too, yeah. uh and they like in the kerfuffle they knocked over the table so they're like let's pick this shit up and yeah. you're coming with me yeah you can also just even to disconnect these cables it's almost just implying let's turn off the power let's i mean if i'm gonna go and hang then what are we doing but disconnecting ourselves from this mortal coil right mm. so let's disconnect these tables overturn these uh disconnect these cables overturn these tables this place doesn't make sense to me anymore i'm already gone so just right. let's end it i like that however Michael Gray has a great little spot uh, in the Bob Dylan encyclopedia about this line in particular. It says, quote, the singer seeks, seeks guidance in an attempt to make the leap from worldly meaninglessness to a new higher ground. Let's overturn these tables is a Christ gesture, a swift allusion to the routing of the moneylenders in the temple. For Matthew twenty one twelve, and Jesus went into the temple of God and overthrew the tables of the money changers. And in John two fifteen, he says, uh, or quote, uh, he drove them all out of the temple and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables. To which Dylan adds, "This place don't make no sense to me anymore." Hmm. So I think that's pretty interesting. Again, if we're doing the Jesus thing, especially in the last verse, but this is where I'm confused, and this is where like I think the whole thing is muddled for me because I like the historical version of it. It's kind of fun and interesting, uh, especially to imagine it being like a generational divide. And it's interesting, too, to tell the story not even featuring Native Americans at all, as if this land was always theirs, which would totally be what the first person coming over on those wagons would have thought. But it doesn't make any sense no more. It doesn't make any sense because it's like, what is this thing about Armageddon? And like there there is no there's not enough textual evidence to support anything. So I like the fade out. We don't have a lot of fade outs in Bob Dylan songs. So I enjoy the extended fade. And the song is over. It is. Would you listen to this song in 2018? Does this song make sense today? Does this sound like something you would hear today? No. The Good the, or bad? Uh, bad. I probably wouldn't listen to it again. It, um, no, I don't think so. I think the the backup singers are a misstep, even though if they're sparsely used, they yeah. still make it sound I think, dated and weird. Yeah. Yeah, true, true. I think backup singers are always pretty rough. And I think his backup singers in particular are the roughest. It's going to be hard going forward because they really do ruin a lot of songs that are otherwise pretty good. Yeah. And the, like I said at the beginning, his his voice is just right on the edge of being earnest versus ridiculous. Is that thunder? Holy That's shit. a thunderstorm. Goddamn. Hell yeah. They can, are you there, senor? <laughs> I, I think it sounds good. I think that the, all the instruments sound great. I think that... The subduedness makes this one of the best because even changing of the guards, I mean, from what we've heard just a little bit on our Game of Thrones pod, it's a big song. It's a song with lots of sax, lots of uh, background singers. I mean, the singers take on a lot of the lyrics too, not just sort of reiterating or being a background, but like really leading the song with Bob sort of commenting under. So I like that this is a Bob Dylan song with like a couple of these little things in there. And the history for me 
uh, does things that um, if you're listening to Band Month, this is a la Night They Drove Old Dixie Down. It's not so much about if we are going to see this as history. There's it's not so much about the facts. There are almost no facts in this, and I think that's why it makes this song not great to li- to try to view through a historical lens. But it's more about the intent, and I think if we can square that intent then it makes sense the way that night they drove old Dixie down does, because we can see what they're saying, how it's appropriated by other people is not the band's fault by any means. And it's just like Bob Dylan with hurricane Joey. These songs are not historically accurate. They're not factually accurate, but what they're saying about them and about humans is worth hearing. This song has neither. This song doesn't have a historical basis unless you create one. It doesn't have a super religious overtone unless you create one. Nothing is overt. This does sound to me like things have changed. It is a generic song with generic lyrics that are sort of provocative. You know, where is this wagon? Where is the ship? Where is this thing? But how does it all tie together? I don't know. And I think the questions that are asked when you break it down like I did before, those are questions that people ask all the time. So, I mean, it's kind of a universal song because it's asking questions that we still ask of ourselves and of what we're doing in the world. What is the point? You know, this is also a part of the seven curses expanded universe. So it is important to know. Well, I mean, just once you get a mandolin in there, I mean, it's, it's something that Bob Dylan does not do that often. And for me, this is literally taking place in New Mexico. That's borders Mexico. It's like, we're talking about, I mean, to me, this is seven curses town. I mean, Seven Curses, I guess, for me, is taking place in like on the Great Plains, but still, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. This place don't make sense to me no more. And you tell me what we're waiting for, Senor. Okay, so that's Senor Tales of Yankee Power, our second song off of 1978 Street Legal. But in addition to the song, we also, of course, like every week, made a crazy-ass playlist where we put songs that we love, songs that we find interesting, or in the case of last week, songs from artists we'd never fucking heard of and never will hear of again in our lives, uh, and, and encase them in as much of stone and amber as Spotify can possibly provide. I mean, they could just delete the service tomorrow, oh, and they're God, all that's gone. That's true, yeah. So it's as permanent as it can be. <laughs> but this week we had another great playlist. Um, I don't know if it, it's definitely not as eclectic as uh, as Isis, but I think it's still uh, pretty good. And we listened to it while we were listening to Senor all week. Uh, I want to welcome back to the playlist, Gaslight Anthem, of course, Kanye West, which I think we should get into. You did listen to a lot of Kanye I this did, week yeah. and you made his uh, wearing a manga hat sure did as is just as a reminder and i i appreciate that that's mm-hmm. very nice arctic monkeys are back vince staples is back the thermals are back and the decemberists are back but it's not just the decemberists being back that song is actually on our very first playlist for honest with me oh no shit because we were talking about the civil war and that is a civil war song okay. and they shout out the dead of manassas that's where i grew up Sarah McLachlan Virginia. was on the playlist before too she was oh oh really yeah. oh oh see i wasn't sure mm-hmm. And Sarah McLaughlin. <laughs> Never forget. And welcome to the podcast, Harry Belafonte. Hell yeah. The Redskins. Ghetto Brothers. Cream, which famously uh, Clapton quit after he heard the band. Check out Band Month. Uh, Everlyn, Everliven Sound uh, is new, although we've dug into the Crate Diggers Delight before. Uh, People Under the Stairs, MC Front a lot, and A Perfect Circle. 
It was it was a fun playlist. It was. It was it's a lot of fun. I think the way it all flows together is really good. Any standouts for you? So uh, I forgot about the Ghetto, Ghetto Brothers being on there. Why? That was good. Also, why Sarah McLaughlin is on there because of that sound I was talking about in yeah. Senor, the beginning. Yeah. That like weird moan sound that it sounds like it could be in Diablo. The beginning and ends of Senor sound very similar to the entirety of that song. So even though it's not, it's called Ice, Ice which yeah. she says Ice is, could have been last week's playlist. <laughs> it's all coming together. Anyway, so that's why that's there. Uh, and also, Jump of the Line. Well, and Harry, Harry Brother Fonte. Yeah, exactly. Okay. But he says Shakes and Yora. So I was like, uh, there we go. Okay. okay. <laughs> Any excuse to throw that song. I was <laughs> trying to think, why is this one on there? Yeah, we yes. did a lot of uh, Senor, Senorita, yeah. you know, whatever we could. We had to reach. Or power. Yeah, I mean, that's. Uh, so the Ghetto Brothers is really interesting. Um, I forgot to look this up before we talked about it. But the reason I even know about that, it's just one album. So in the 70s in New York, when the gangs were really uh, violent, and that's why we get things like the Warriors and stuff like oh, that, yes, was yes. you know based loosely on a lot of the turmoil of that time. And this guy who was the head of one of the gangs, the Ghetto Brothers, yeah. and his brothers made this band because they loved the Beatles. And mm. they were the champions of trying to unify the gangs in New York, trying to make everybody chill out and like come together. They were, that was the first and only meeting between all those gangs was headed by the, the guys from the ghetto brothers. And it's just this one album that they made, um, in 1973, I think that's probably totally wrong, but it was in the 1970s. And it, uh, just kind of got lost through time. Yeah. It's got a great sound. It's, um, a fun, like pop, uh, almost proto-punk kind of thing. Yeah. Um, really you can definitely cool. hear the, the Beatles influences in it. And uh, there was a, a small record label out of Brooklyn that did a re-release of it in 2014. So it kind of okay. came back to life. Nice. Um, so if, if you haven't listened to that, please check out the Ghetto Brothers. They're one on that Kelly we were also people in the real world beyond the playlist what were you doing this week that you want to recommend to everybody out there again we've got three weeks left 2018 is coming to a close what you got a couple weeks ago I went to the Nerdcore Rushmore tour Mount Nerdcore tour it's supposed to be a play on Mount Rushmore because there's four of them so uh, Share for the Dark Lord Mega Ran MC Lars and MC Frontalot who's like the godfather of uh, Nerdcore right Um, and it made me re-listen to a lot of that stuff because I've always I've been a fan of MC Lars for a while. MC Frontalot's like, okay. And Schaefer the Dark Lord, there was a moment shortly after we moved in together um, in, in Denver where I don't know what was happening. It's just like everybody used to watch YouTube videos and that's all we did was just watch weird YouTube videos. So Very specific time. Schaefer yeah. the Dark Lord had a song called The Rappist that got really internet famous. Um, and I kind of forgot all about him and never really went back to it because as I've grown as a person – the lyrics are really problematic and the video just features like women as objects. And it's just like, okay, I don't really need to go back to that. But because I went to go see the show and Schaefer was on it, I was like, let me go like just creep back into his stuff. And he's definitely gone through a transformation. Apparently he was really bad off on a, a myriad of drugs and alcohol. Uh, he's been struggling for a long time. And in 2013, he came out with an album called sick passenger, which is, I think the best nerdcore album made which is it's Whoa. not because it's musically the best or even like 
I don't know, like production wise is the best. It's because the story is intercut with eight parts of him in a therapy session, learning about himself and just like kind of talking through issues and about a mental illness and about addiction. And the biggest thing is the transformative uh, period that he went through between t- 2007 and, and, and 2013 when he released sick passenger of being like, I was terrible to women. And like, I don't, I want to try to be better. There's a line when he's talking to his therapist in the, uh, one of the little sessions thing where it's like, so you're being, you being a liberal feminist ally now excuses the sins of your past. And he's like, yes, sure. Cause he's like, I don't know, just so, so great. And the fact that when I saw him a couple of weeks ago with the, the other guys, he not only talked about shit that no other nerdcore rappers talk about because it's predominantly white dudes who don't give a fuck about anything. They just want to be nerds and be victimy for being nerds. Like, remember when I got picked on in high school? Yeah, that sucked. Also women are bitches. (laughs) Like, and that's the open and shut of it. MC Lars is not like that, but he also doesn't go there. Neither does MC Frontal. Like he's not like that where he's actively being a misogynist piece of shit most of the time, but he also doesn't talk about this is a problem in our world. Like, we have a problem with race in America. We have a problem with women in America and at large. Uh, and he was the only person that really brought anything up. Like he has a song about enthusiastic consent and like, I don't know, he's just really trying to be a better person. And he didn't play the rapist because like a lesser person would have been like, I need to ride this. This is the most famous song of mine. So I'm mm. going to play it until I die. But he's like, no, it makes me sick. I, t- I had an opportunity to speak to him because they all sell their own merch. They do- it's all DIY stuff. And I was like, thank you for, you know, you've shown a lot of growth and I think that's really cool that you were vulnerable it's like the most vulnerable album that a nerdcore rapper's ever done I guess that's what I should say the best in that it's the most vulnerable well I mean that's that's always the most interesting is when you have a I mean nerdcore is dead Kelly obviously well MC Lars killed it in what 2009 something like that yeah but but I mean even like having like little communities like that uh, dying or whatever the case might be and then to have somebody come back and do an autopsy on it is interesting always enjoy Hey Schaefer, it's been too long. What oh nine? When you went and dropped that Bender song? So? Come on, get your shit together. I hear you smoking a skooma. No. Incessant impressions got me wishing it was a guma. Nice. I don't mean it. Your habits just start to eat me. With all that cocaine, you think you finish an EP. You suck now. Put the alcohol down. We're only doing this because we want you around. Whatever. Hey Schaefer, it's safe here, but it's safer than psychotherapy there. When the drugs and women can get to your life, it's very concerning. I've only ever seen you eat and then uh real quickly megaran who is also on the tour um he's the guinness world record holder for the most songs written about a specific video game franchise that being Mega Man, who he is actually sponsored not sponsored by but uh capcom gave him license to use any samples that he ever wanted to from any of the franchises which he's yeah. the only rapper to ever do that too this dude is so fucking prolific he Definitely uh, gives Bob Dylan a, a run for his money for, good, because good. between 2005 and now he's released 33 albums, which do include <laughs> include like remixes and EPs. But eight of those are legitimate LPs. Uh, he does a lot of collaborations and stuff too. My, I think the coolest piece of his is called Black Materia. It's from 2011, and it's literally every Final Fantasy VII song. Okay. Uh, but he's remixed it and changed it, and he actually tells the story of Final Fantasy VII through That's his raps through the whole album. Cool. It's just a very cool concept album, and it made me understand. I've never played Final Fantasy VII because I played a, a far superior game called Panzer Dragoon Saga. Fight oh. me, uh, and I think that it's it's really cool that yeah. he I don't know he does a lot of he does a lot of Mega Man music, but the taking all of Final Fantasy VII and making it his own thing. It was really neat. Anyway, Mega can Man. He, can he do Panzer? No, he probably never played that game. 
Oh. Very few people did. But, I, yeah. I mean, I've heard of it, but I don't know if I've ever played it. You might have heard of whatever Panzer something. Panzer or, Dragoon Orca? Oh, yeah. Or? Orta was the one that came out on yeah. Xbox. Yeah, but it was yeah. not. No. Okay. Related, but not the same. Anyway. Fair enough. Mega Ran's great. Uh, Share for the De- Dark Lord. MC Frontal, lots of person. Um, and MC Lars. And MC Lars is also a person who I've seen many times. And if you wanted to get into Toontown, there you go. Have a complicated relationship with. Oh, it reminded me. Do you remember the G4 promo spots? MC Lars did one. MC Frontal did one. And YT Cracker did one. He's garbage. YT Cracker just F-bombs. That's his whole fucking everything. It's just like, oh, it's really cool because I say faggot all the time. Oh. Sweet. Cool. Sweet. Yeah. He's friends with all of them, which makes me like, but anyway, uh, yeah, it's a nerd's world. You don't remember those little promo spots? <sighs> no, I don't. Yeah, you should check them out. Okay. They're only 30 seconds. I can't find MC Lars's, but I did find MC Front Lots and okay. YT Crackers. Anyway. <laughs> I roll. <laughs> I will try to find those. I'll put them on. Sorry, that was the longest recommendations ever. But no, that's great. Shape for the Dark Lord. Well, Sick Passenger yeah. deserves your attention. Sick Passenger, Shape for the Dark Lord. Done. Kelly, I want to recommend three albums. Actually, four, if you will. One of them is the final EP for Minus the Bear. A reminder that we're going to see Minus the Bear in a month. I know. Their final uh, show in Portland. They're, what, third to final now? Fourth to final? Who knows? I don't know how many Song Seattle shows got ever. <laughs> how many Seattle shows there are? Who knows? Uh, the Fair Enough EP, we both listened to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just, I'm not on the band anymore. So I'm I'm, I'm into, in December, re-listening to the entire discography again. But yeah, I think them hanging it up is... About time. About yeah, time. I agree. Uh, direct hit. I love this this band, a uh, punk band out of Milwaukee, uh, Crown of Nothing. They seem to like release an album all the time, although it was 2016, I guess, when the last album came out. But they're they're amazing. I saw them with uh, Less Than Jake a couple of uh, months ago, actually, uh, and it was fantastic. So I highly recommend that. Antarctica Vespucci. There's not enough to say. Loving the time of email. I fucking love this band so much. And I love Chris Farron and I love Jeff What they can do, and Chris Farren's voice, I, I think it, they both bring out the best in, in one another. And, and Jeff Rosenstock, obviously, is still contending with the best album of 2018. So it's it's crazy that they're both here. Jeff Rosenstock is here uh, Jeff at the same time. Jeff. Je- what? Jeff versus Jeff. What are you going to pick? Poster? Oh, this? I know. Poster this. Well, I don't know if Antarctica is going to make it. I don't have enough time with it. I'm going to keep spending time with it. But I really love it. And I think people who like you know, pop punk, power pop, just like... Just good singing, just awesome shit. Should check it out. And then I want to rep one more band that you may have heard of called Saves the Day. Yeah, isn't that an emo band from like early 2000s? They've been around for 20 years. Uh, 1997 was when they released their first record. Uh, They released Nine, which is their ninth album. I was not expecting to love this album as much as I do. (laughs) It starts with a song called Saves the Day, and the lyrics are basically, hey, guys, we're saves the day. You're about to bang this shit because you're awesome. And the entire <laughs> album is like this meta commentary. The way I see it is that nostalgia is always something that uh, is powerful and people really love. 
but they take nostalgia in a way and bottle it and turn it into these songs that just like are meta commentary on all of their entire career. And Chris Connolly is the only member, I think, from the original Saves the Day. He's the lead singer and lead songwriter who's still around. And they used to be a very problematic band is probably the only way to put it. I mean, his where he was when he was like 20 this is the same problem with like bright eyes and stuff where you're writing about women and writing about relationships and stuff from you're, you're putting yourself out there and there you can excuse it by them being so young because they're not saying like openly hateful shit, but they're just obviously have no world experience and have never really been in a relationship and are just, so there is a meta commentary about all of that. And then you get to the final song called 29 and I looked at it when it started and I was like 21 minutes long damn, I didn't know bands still do that, like, you know, three-minute song and then just, like, 20 minutes of silence to have oh, a little right. yeah, bit the song. Track. 21 legit minutes. It's a 21-minute song. It's not only the best thing Saves a Day has ever done, it's the song of the year. Holy it's the shit. song of the fucking year. You want to bottle nostalgia and put it through something and take, like, meeting somebody back in your youth and then becoming, like, the love of your life, like, Oh my God, like putting all that together and just Chris Connolly, like you get some of the best, not only lines, but also one of his best performances. And I love him, but he's doing stuff that he used to do when he was doing really, really dramatic, melodramatic emo lyrics, bringing that sort of sense of vulnerability back to 20, uh, 2018 saves the day. And it's wonderful. I highly recommend at least 29, just listen to it front to back. 21 fucking minutes long, but it never feels like 21 minutes, and it is catchy as fuck all the way through. I'm so impressed. <laughs> all these pop punk bands that I declare dead, Alkaline Trio, another one of them, just come back with this ninth record. I think it's their ninth record, too. <laughs> and they're just bomb. It's just bomb. Uh, incredible, saves the day. Good job. All right, Kelly, it's great to talk about recommendations and all of that, but it's important to remember that we are a real podcast. True. We have hopes, we have dreams, we have desires. We want to be a podcast still. We want to keep podcasting. We do. And you know how to do that? You follow us. Follow us at SOTW Pod on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. Go to our website, SOTWPod.com. Drop us an email, SOTWPod at gmail.com. Give us some money. We got some new mics. You might have heard. We do band month. We're currently in the middle of band month. We do Don't band you month. love band month? <laughs> We want to keep doing stuff for you, but it does require a little bit of money. We have jobs, you know, we have commitments, but we want to keep doing this. So think about that, or at the very least, if you don't have any money to spare, that's totally cool. Just tell people about it. Interact with us. Tweet us. Let us know what you think about everything. Yeah, that'd be nice to hear. SOTW pod everywhere. Kelly, this is the moment that we pick next week's song. This will be our penultimate episode for season two. So I know it's crazy. So Kelly, we have 437 songs left. Only 437 songs. Mm -hmm. One out of 437, what you got? 106. 106, no. 106 is, oh, this would have been amazing. Uh, Quinn the Eskimo uh, off of the Basement Tapes. It's also on The Greatest Hits Volume 2. It's also on Biograph. Great song, great song. well, we could talk about, man, this would really bring it back in where we talked about the Mescaleros mm-hmm. here. We could have talked about the Inuit. Not lost opportunities, but we'll get to it in time. The correct answer, Kelly, is 279. Sure it is. 279, of course, as you know at home, is, holy shit, 1965, we're going to Tombstone Blues. 
You just referenced that a couple weeks ago. That's the one that that poet liked. Oh, yes, it is. the <laughs> great. Hey, there you go. This is on uh, the Bootleg Series Volume 7, Volume 12, so we'll listen to the making of it as well. Real live, unplugged, so we got a lot of, lot of uh, Tombstone Blues to listen. Actually, that unplugged version is actually really great. Cool. So we'll see you uh, next week for our penultimate episode, Tombstone Blues. I think it's our our first off of Highway 61. Yeah, We've done the album, yeah. but I think this is our very first. Oh, so that's pretty cool. Pretty cool end. All right, Kelly, I'll see you in the Tombstone Yard. Wow. Yeah, that's what they're called. We'll do we'll do laps around uh, the flagpole with our two bus. Okay. Bye. <laughs>